a 45-year-old woman sits on the cold, wrinkly paper before her gynecology appointment, waiting for the doctor to return. She had been having increasing deep pelvic pain with intercourse over the last several months. He had assured her that this was normal as women get older and that to just relax or drink wine beforehand. She didn't think this was normal, but he was dismissive of her complaints. She had a history of cancer in her family and she was worried if this could be something more serious. But then again, she was labeled as anxious whenever she did bring up the history of cancer because it was so rare. What should she do? How can she get the tests that were needed done? Can she see someone else? Her mind was racing as she was worried about all the possibilities, but she felt helpless. Welcome to The Hurt by Dr. Mira Kirpaker and Dr. Alopi Patel. We are the female pain docs. This is a platform to contribute to the public discourse on women's pain and general health. We are here to empower women and men to engage in the advancement of their health with discussions of evidence-based medicine, unconventional topics, lifestyle modifications, and more. The views contained in this podcast are our personal views and do not represent the views of our institutions. This does not substitute medical advice. Please be evaluated by a physician if necessary. Welcome back to The Hurt Podcast. On today's episode, we are going to discuss chronic pain from the patient's perspective. Chronic pain is a journey that many people will face lifelong, and often this journey can unfortunately start at a young age. Statistics show that up to 5% of American children deal with chronic pain due to arthritis, autoimmune disease, post-surgical pain, and more. This number goes up significantly in adults. Almost 20% of the American population, or about 50.2 million people, experience some form of chronic pain. When patients are experiencing chronic pain, managing their days can be exhausting, let alone managing the complicated healthcare system. So today we have a very special guest who is going to talk to us about being a patient in chronic pain and going through the healthcare system as a child and as an adult, Nitika Chopra. Nitika was diagnosed with a severe case of autoimmune psoriasis at the age of 10, which changed her life. She experienced devastating challenges and isolation during her health struggles. Nitika realized that she was not the only person with these challenges and used her own experiences to create an inspiring platform for chronic pain patients across the world. In 2019, Nitika launched the first-of-its-kind platform, ChronicCon dedicated to elevating the lives of those living with chronic illnesses. This conference was sold out and had thousands of people live-streaming the event. After the pandemic, she launched the ChronicCon community, which is a place where people from all over the world can virtually connect and be truly seen and heard. We are so excited to have an inspiring patient advocate on our episode today to learn more about how you can advocate for your own care. Welcome, Nithika. So could you tell us a bit more about your own experience with chronic pain? When did you really realize that this pain was not going to go away potentially? Sure. Yeah. Well, I was diagnosed with psoriasis, which is an autoimmune skin condition at the age of 10. And um, then I got diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis at the age of 19. And, you know, both of those conditions um, are they have a lot of similarities, but they're also very different. So the pain that I experienced with psoriasis when it was just the skin, you wouldn't think of like pain and like a skin condition kind of going hand in hand. But 
because my skin, it was sort of like when your lips get dry and crack and bleed, you know, in the winter, my whole body was like that. So it was incredibly painful. And then when I got psoriatic arthritis, it was a totally different kind of pain. Like the actual joints were hurting and there was a lot of stiffness um, and just like a type of pain. I used to say it felt like being like, I don't, this is like so graphic, but like being like run over or something, it was like so much like dead weight and pressure and like just a totally different kind of pain than I had ever experienced. So, um, yeah, I went through that for like the better part of, you know, two decades, like almost 20 years of my life, um, and still go through ups and downs with those different conditions, but not in the same intensity. How did you because you were a kid essentially, right? When all of this started, when did you really realize that this is going to be a lifelong thing? When did it really sort of um, hit you and then empower you to start uh, taking control of it? Yeah, I think, you know, the first decade was probably all about, and maybe like a little longer than that, maybe the first like 10 to 13 years, I was really just focused on like fixing it. And I think that's really common for a lot of people. I just saw that there was a problem, saw that there were these conditions. And I was like, okay, like, how do I get over it? How do I heal it? How do I fix it? And my family, you know, felt the same way. Like we just like wanted to do everything that we could to try to make this go away. The biggest change for me was about, you know, that 10 to 13 year mark where I was like, so tired of putting all this pressure on myself and feeling like I wasn't going to be okay unless it went away, you know, and then seeing that it wasn't going anywhere. So like, what does that mean, right? If I'm not going to be okay, unless this goes away and it never goes away, that means I'm never going to be okay. And so I think it was like a series of introspective conversations, you know, um, meeting new people. I moved to New York when I was about 20 years old. And so like, I just met new people. I started learning about all different types of things, like just getting my kind of eyes open to different ways of looking at life. And it was through that process that I started to learn about surrendering. And that's that's like one of those things that's like so annoying when somebody says, you just have to surrender. You're just like, yeah, dude, if I knew that, like if I knew how to do that, I would just do it. That's like the hardest thing to do. Um, but, you know, it was through many years of going through that process of really understanding like, okay, well, what do I feel about myself and my life if I'm never going to get better, you know? And so starting to unpack that, Um, and it took a long time and it's still a process that I have to go through. Like I go through ups and downs with my conditions all the time. And now with a pandemic and being immune compromised and just like all those different things, there's just so much that we are constantly navigating. Um, yeah. So it's something to think about. Absolutely. It required a change in mindset. And even as adults, that's hard. And I can't even imagine how difficult that must've been to be a child, what were some situations that you faced as a child and as an adolescent uh, that made you feel isolated and um, how did you cope with them? Yeah. I mean, so many things, right? Like, cause when I got psoriasis, I was, as I said, I was 10. So it really went for me, like being, you know, I, I loved soccer when I was that age and like, I was already pretty awkward and, you know, isolated in so many other ways that had nothing to do with my health, but I was really trying to fit in. And so, you know, just simple things like, like sleepovers or like even just going to someone's house was like stressful for me because my skin would flake and stuff all over. So like 
if there was any dark surface of any kind, or if I had to sit somewhere, anything, there would be like flakes, you know, as I got up and wearing certain clothes, like that was really hard. I couldn't wear clothes that other people could as easily because of my skin. Or if I wore those clothes, it would be really obvious. And just like if people, I think the thing that people don't realize with a lot of chronic illnesses, but especially with a skin condition, they think of it as just the skin, but for a condition like psoriasis, which is autoimmune, it affected every single aspect of my life. And so it caused like extreme fatigue that we didn't know was from the condition because I was really not well. It caused extreme social anxiety for a long time because, you know, think about it, like your greatest wound is like there for everyone to see like the second that you meet them. And we're already, you know, feeling vulnerable when you meet new people, just like coming, (laughs) coming as like a healthy, you know, person, or even a person who has an invisible illness, like that people can't see. It's already just hard to meet new people. So when you think about things that came up for me, I mean, it was really like in every moment I was facing, how do I, how can I be okay with this? And how do I learn to get accepted as I am um, while navigating all of this? It was really, really, really hard. Especially through those teenage years, which are so difficult as is. Oh my God, yeah. What would be your advice to adolescents who are going through chronic pain right now? Uh, Well, first of all, I would just like want to give every single one of those humans a hug because it's really hard. I mean, and I think the biggest thing is, you know, we didn't know anyone else was going through what I was going through. I didn't know that other people were dealing with this. And, you know, I'm first generation, like my parents are from India. And so that also, I think, played somewhat of a role because they were doing their best. Like they just, but they just didn't know. And we didn't have like, it sounds crazy, but we didn't have like the internet back then with all these support groups and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm 41 now. So that's been more in the last like couple of decades that that's become more popular, but that's not how it was when I was growing up. So I think now that is the fortunate thing that you can find support groups. And I think finding those groups where they're more uplifting because a lot of those places can be really down and like really depressing, um, which is why I created something that's like the opposite of that. Um, But yeah, finding those places that you feel resonate. And if you don't find one right away, like don't, don't give up, just keep going. Cause there are those places out there. You just have to kind of be committed to it. Um, And then, yeah, I would say like, find out who your real friends are like, and they, you don't have to have 50 friends. Like I remember I had one friend when I was in high school, her name was Amber and I'll just never forget her friendship because there was this one time where my back was like really, really bothering me, like my skin and I needed help like putting my medication on and my mom wasn't home. And, um, so I asked her if she would help me, which is like such a gross, weird thing to like ask your friend. But she was so not phased by it. And she was like, yeah, of course. Like she knew I was really like in a lot of pain. And that's just something I will never forget. You know what I mean? So, but I didn't have 50 friends like her. I had one. I had one person that I felt like really saw me as like the full person that I am who happens to have this condition, you know? So I think those kinds of things just really help in like your community and and figuring out, you know, who you can lean on, but really understanding what that looks like and what that means. I think that's great advice for all adolescents, all teenagers. You're absolutely right. You know, having one person that's that quality 
friend or person in your life means a lot more than the quantity. So that's a great point. And I hope uh, some of our listeners can take that away as well. And I love that you mentioned the positive surrounding sort of thing, because it's absolutely true. Oftentimes being um, surrounded by a lot of people who focus on the negative aspects of it can be depressing in and of itself, even though it is important to touch upon them. But I love the concept of chronic con and how you're changing the mindset again around uh, around chronic disease. So I, I, I think that's great what you're doing. So what are some challenges that you faced in the healthcare system? The healthcare system is very difficult to navigate through for many people, especially even as adults. But what about as a child and an, as an adolescent? Yeah, I think, you know, when I think back at the earlier years um, of me trying to navigate my health in the healthcare system, again, like with my parents, because I was younger, we just like really didn't know what one, like what our options were. We didn't know, like now you hear people more and more talk about like being an advocate or being your best advocate or, you know, whatever. And it's like, okay, I'm 41 and I've got like that pretty down, but like that didn't really happen. I would say until my early thirties, you know, like I definitely, I think have I'm a pretty outspoken person. So I've definitely been a better advocate for myself, maybe all throughout more than most people, but like considering where I was to where I am now, it's like night and day. I didn't know when I was 19, for example, uh, or 18, actually 18, 19, I was put on a medication for my psoriasis and it just happened to be a medication that really didn't work for my system. And it actually backfired so much that it triggered the psoriatic arthritis to come out. And it was very traumatic. I was like, I don't understand. I had never taken a medication like that before. So it's just like a very big deal, all these things. But I just remember feeling kind of like a specimen more than like a human being. And I didn't know that I could ask certain things. I didn't know that I could like do research and demand for a better doctor who had like better bedside manner. And now Again, with the internet, you can, um, not to sound like I'm 500 years old, but it, it does make a difference, you know? I now spend days sometimes, like sometimes weeks if it takes that long, looking at all of these different reviews, asking questions, calling the offices, like really doing my due diligence because I believe it shouldn't be this hard on the patient, I don't think, to just get good care. But I also know that, it's going to be a little while before the entire system changes. So like in the meantime, I want to make sure I get good care. And so there's just all those things that, um, that we can do now. And in terms of like negative experiences I had, I just feel like I just was looked at as a specimen. I wasn't really looked at over and over and over again. I wasn't really looked at as like a human being. I remember finally when I was about 25, um, and I started taking a medication that actually did really help me, which has been such a life-changing medication for me. Um, I remember that was like the first doctor that I felt looked at me and saw how much I was going through and was basically like, if you don't take medication now, you're going to be immobile by the time you're 30. Um, cause my bones were deforming that much. We're, um, just getting so bad, but he saw like what I was capable of. He saw like the full life that I could live. He talked to me like, a young woman, not like, you know, some kid that doesn't know what she's talking about kind of thing. So I mean, that was kind of a long-winded answer, but I just feel like there was a whole journey of 
not so great experiences that it's not necessarily that one specific one sticks out. It was just like being in a system that just didn't really treat me the way that I think that I needed to be treated. How can we as physicians change that? I think it's so important that you mentioned that. And us as a female pain docs, we're all about patient advocacy and patient empowerment. But for all physicians, we always have something to learn. So how would you say we can change as physicians or even changes within the healthcare system to help help with patient empowerment? Yeah, I mean, I think there's so many things, but I think, you know, I have this one doctor now who's my rheumatologist and I just, I'm like obsessed with her. I love her so much. And I tell her that every time I see her, I think it's probably like, okay, you need to calm down. But I do, I really love her so much. And it's really because she just like takes time to to listen to me. And it's not that, and this is the thing that people don't understand. If you give us the time to feel heard, we actually usually don't need as much time as you think, but it's the resistance to giving us that time that makes it harder. So I feel like with her, she doesn't ever make me feel like I need to hurry up and get out, like ever, ever, ever. And I always leave my interactions with her feeling like, okay, I I got to ask her all the questions. She really cared about what I was saying. And it's, it's not like she's doing anything revolutionary. She's literally just listening to me and giving me her full attention, her full attention. I can't tell you how she's my favorite doctor because it is rare (laughs) that I have that experience. I don't usually have that experience with doctors. And so now I've kind of like moved so many things over to her because I'm like, okay, you're the best and I love you. And you're just so kind. And she's obviously like very smart and all of those things as well. But it's really that one thing that I'm just like, whenever I talk to her, she like looks me in the eye and she's like really listening to me. And I just feel like she really cares. Like it it just, it makes such a huge difference. So that is a game changing thing. Um, And then I don't know if there are ways for physicians to like, I don't know, offer like even like workshops or offer ways for patients to connect with you. Like you're doing this podcast, which is great. Like just offer ways for patients to connect with you to see, you know, the full picture of who you are as well, because that might also help with their care in a certain way. Um, So yeah, those are just some of my ideas, but I think the biggest thing is really just like looking the patient in the eye and letting them know that, you know, you're fully listening to them. Something as simple as that, right? It all comes down to bedside manner as well. I mean, even outside of the healthcare system, if we're speaking to somebody, we want to give them our full attention, right? So why would we change that when it comes to the healthcare system? I think a lot of physicians, and that's something that I personally have tried to change as well. We're so, we're so, um, focused on getting information sometimes and documenting it because of, you know, time constraints, but really giving that full attention and going back and writing that note can make a huge difference rather than trying to do two things at once, I think, um, is, is really important for us as physicians to to acknowledge. Um, How would you say, give us some tips about how did you advocate for yourself when you didn't feel heard uh, with physicians or um, in the healthcare system in general? Like, did you bring family members or friends or pain journals or whatever it may be? What are some ways our listeners can advocate for themselves? Yeah, I remember that transition. Like, I feel like now it's like a natural thing and I know how to do it and I've got it down pat. But I remember that transition, um, again, like my late 20s, early 30s, where I felt like 
I was learning how to advocate for myself and I didn't really feel that comfortable yet. And so I did do that. I actually would bring um, my mom a lot of the times, or um, I'd bring my mom and like a best friend, or sometimes like when I was starting a new treatment or I was like going in for a test or things like that, I would have a text chain with some best friends just being like, hey guys, there's nothing you can do, but I have to go do this thing. And I'm really like frustrated or I'm really scared or like whatever it is. Can you just like pump me up or like send me some love or I'll like just text you when it's done just so I know someone's there. Um, And that's not so much about like advocacy, but it is about like getting yourself the support that you need. Um, And especially like I'm a single woman, like living in New York City. I just feel like it's it can just feel so isolating going through all this stuff by yourself. So whether you're single or you're just like, you know, going through the health thing and maybe you have a partner that doesn't have a chronic illness um, and you feel like maybe they don't fully understand. I think just finding those people that do and then bringing them into what's going on with you, it feels hard. And I hear this a lot at Chronicon, like people do isolate so much and then it's like a perpetual cycle because it's like, you know, I'm isolating so that no one's reaching out so that no one's reaching out because I'm isolating. It's like this whole thing. But we really, unfortunately, because I feel like the labor shouldn't be on the patient, but we really do have to be the ones that, you know, take that first step a lot of the time. Um, And so bringing people in. And then I also make lists of my questions, which I think is really helpful, even to this day. Like anytime I go to a doctor's appointment or even if I'm doing like a telehealth appointment, I always have something in my notes on my phone and I just like have a list of running questions and I'm like, oh, why is this happening? Or, you know, I'm wondering about this or I heard about this new treatment or whatever it might be. Um, And doctors, I think, also appreciate that because I think it's like they want to help you. But I mean, like I talk so much. If I didn't write down questions, I would just be talking, you know, aimlessly for like ever and probably forget most of the things that I wanted to say. So I think the doctor also really appreciates that because they want to help you. And like, this is a way to kind of guide them into doing that as well. Yes, that's absolutely correct. I think um, having a list definitely is a great way to not forget anything, right? And get that feedback in person. Even myself as a patient, I make lists of questions for when I go to a physician because the last thing I want to do is, oh man, I left and forgot to ask them something. So I think that's a great tip for our listeners. And then um, medical gaslighting, we're going to touch upon that a little bit. Did you experience that? And how did you combat gaslighting? Because that wasn't really a known concept really until recently. Yeah. Yeah, I have experienced that. And, um, you know, I have to say not too much um, because I feel like for whatever reason, I've had conditions that were so bad, they were pretty obvious, you know, <laughs> um, or they were just obvious. I don't know if it's because they were so bad, but they were just pretty obvious. Um, but I think the gaslighting came up around like all the things surrounding my condition that haven't really been as developed. So sort of what I talked about when I was speaking about being, you know, in school and having like extreme fatigue and just like also just learning as I've gotten older, I learn like very differently than a lot of people do. So I'm like a very experiential learner. I need to like see things visually. I need to like have a conversation about things. I don't really learn just by reading something. Um, And just like that combined with the comorbidities that a lot of conditions come with, which is like depression, anxiety, like all of these things that I feel like weren't as talked about. And even now still, I think are not talked about nearly as much. 
So I don't think like I've been gaslit so much about my specific conditions, but I think like the anxiety that comes with it or, you know, the ups and downs emotionally that can come with it and how that is such a common kind of quote unquote normal thing um, to happen when you're dealing with your health on such a big level. Um, So I think it's been more that and not just medical gaslighting. I think, you know, with with loved ones too, just like feeling, you know, and I've got incredible people in my life, but they just can't understand like, you know, and especially when I was a kid, I didn't understand, which I think was also a part of it. Right. Like I didn't know that, you know, the confusion or the exhaustion or whatever was happening was a part of my autoimmune disease. I didn't even know that psoriasis was an autoimmune disease, like for so long, I didn't know what that meant, you know, cause I was so young. So I think that there's, yeah, all of that comes into play. And I think um, it's really sad. I hear a lot of stories, like the average woman who gets diagnosed with endometriosis, it takes her eight doctors on average to actually get a diagnosis I heard recently. And it's just so sad because I've also heard like so many women, you know, get surgeries that they don't need and get all of these things because people are just, doctors are just tired of hearing from them. And they just sort of like, are like, okay, here, like try this. And it's just like, no, like I need you to like care enough to figure this out with me, you know? So I know it happens a lot and I've definitely experienced it, but more in these types of ways. And I think you mentioned a good point. So gaslighting may not just occur within the healthcare system. It can be, unfortunately, from loved ones too. And it's that disconnect of them not understanding. Um, how were some ways that you dealt with it with friends and family? I mean, culturally speaking, oftentimes, like you said, the fatigue, the exhaustion, those can often be invalidated as well in terms of not wanting to go to school or something, right? Or trying to miss social events. How did you deal with that? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It's been hard. I mean, because I feel like over the years, it has caused me to, that is why people isolate. Like that is it, right? That is so much of why people isolate. Because if you and I are friends and I, and you keep inviting me to things and I keep saying like, girl, I can't today. Like, there's just no way, or I can't, I can't, I can't. It does cause confusion frustration, disappointment, you know, all of that on the other person's end. Um, which is so normal, you know what I mean? Like they they have their own experience that they're allowed to have too, but it's a bit more rare or uncommon for us to have people in our lives where we can say, Hey, I know I keep saying no. I just really need you to understand like, this is why. Um, and this is what I can do, even if I can't like show up for these things that you keep inviting me to, but it's, it's rare. And like, I, I honestly, I've been dealing with my health for 31 years and I still have a hard time with it. Um, because I just feel annoying. Like I don't want to be the one that has to say no. And that's a part of it too. Right. Like if you invite me to something fun, chances are I would love to go, you know, but I can't for whatever reason, whether it's like, Oh, that's going to be a really long day. I know my fatigue is going to kick in and I won't be able to handle it or now with the pandemic, like being immune compromised, it's been really challenging for me. So I had to say no to like so many things. Um, and I'll say, Hey, can we do a zoom date instead? And I know that's not that fun. And I'd much rather be like hugging you and like having coffee with you somewhere cute and cozy in New York, but this is what I got. You know what I mean? So yeah, I mean, I forget what your original question was, but those are some of the things that I've, you know, had to kind of do in terms of bridging that gap when people don't get it. Um, it has been hard. And I think that 
Um, just figuring out what you can offer and, you know, going from there is the best bet, but you do have to be the one to sort of guide that a lot of the time. Yes. And um, so you mentioned now groups are like support groups are a big part of the chronic pain journey and finding those those people who can get it right. How were some, what were some resources outside of support groups even, or other resources, even like modules, education, null materials and whatnot that you may have used when you were younger, or even now outside of support groups. Cause like you said, the support groups can be supportive depending on what the culture of that support group is, but what are your insights on the other aspects of getting support? Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. Like I come at this from a very maybe different perspective than other people. I think there is a place for the support that I need for my health, but I'm really passionate about my whole life not being about being sick. And so to me, which is really hard because, you know, when you have a chronic illness, usually what you eat, how you sleep, where you go, even the clothes you wear are determined by your condition. Okay. So to try to fight against that essentially, or to try to say like, no, no, I'm going to focus on other things is, is a radical act, you know, but to me, it's, it's the way of, you know, the kind of life that I, that I want to live the life that is really about so much more than my illness. And so to answer your question, support groups are one thing, but then I look at everything else that I am. You know, and then I try to focus on, okay, I've sang my whole life. I love to sing. How can I incorporate more music into my life? How can I, I also love memoirs and I like love listening to audiobooks. And I really love memoirs because they usually are about some sort of challenge or triumph or someone going through a hard time. And it's, I actually don't love the ones that are about illness necessarily, but like other types of challenges, you know? Um, like I read the memoir Educated, which was so intense. I don't know if you ever read it, but it's so intense. Um, but this woman, uh, Tara Westover, is just like the most incredible person, what she's been able to accomplish. And so listening to things like that make me feel less alone. I feel like I'm on the journey with somebody who has gone through like really hard things. And I'm just like, okay, if she can do it, I can do it. Like we're gonna be okay. You know, so things like that. Um, and then like friends, but not friends who are just sitting there, you know, talking to me about my health. Like I sometimes call my friends to check in on them because focusing on other people's stuff actually helps me, you know, being absurd when you feel helpless, help someone, Mother Teresa said. So it's like figuring that out in my life. And I've made my whole life about being of service in so many ways because it genuinely helps me so much. So I don't necessarily think you know, it's directly about, oh, I'm sick. So I need to do this. It's like, okay, I wake up every day knowing that I'm sick. I don't need to be reminded of it. Like here are all the things that also help me feel good and help me feel better. So yeah. That is amazing. Bravo. I love that because it's, it's again, the change in mindset and that positive shift. And that's what essentially Chronicon is about. So tell us a bit more about Chronicon. I would love for our listeners to find their way to Chronicon if they haven't already heard of it. Oh yeah, I would love that. I mean, Chronicon was created out of my, you know, my experience, my heart, um, and also just my experience in the industry. I've been doing events for over a decade now, like about 13 years now. 
Um, and it's always been something that I've done and I really know nothing else. Like I know what it's like to live with a chronic illness. And so in 2019, I sort of brought all these different things I've been doing for my whole career together and launched Chronicon. And it started off as a live event in New York City. And we have our next one coming up in May of 2023 in Brooklyn. Um, and we also have an amazing, thriving online community, which is just so great, where we have content every day and workshops every single week. And I'm in there just like hanging out with everybody, spending time with everyone. Um, and people have made real life friends. And it's really a place where if you are feeling alone and isolated and you are feeling like, what is this journey that I'm on with my health? You can come and hang out with us and just feel like you're not in it alone. And everyone is like so funny, so cool, so just like talented and smart. And I feel like people, like we attract those types of people in there because that's the the vibe that we're going for. It's not like a support group. I actually don't think of it as a support group. People call it that. And I'm just like, oh, I don't really think of it as that. I think of it as like just a home, you know, it's like so much more than that. So yeah. So that's, that's what Chronicon's about and people can sign up. We have a monthly membership or an annual membership where we also have scholarships available. Um, and then we have tickets going on sale for the next Chronicon in January. So yeah. That is amazing. The 10 year old Nithika is probably looking at you in admiration and awe. What would you tell the 10 year old Nithika now with the 31 years of going through this? What would you tell her? Oh gosh, that makes me emotional to think about her. Um, I would just tell her that everything that you're going through right now is going to make sense at some point, you know, because I really do feel even on the days, you know, I'm an entrepreneur doing this brick by brick, like so many other people. And, um, there's no like magic wand to like go from this huge dream to, you know, what I want to create with it. Um, I'm just doing it one step at a time. And so I would probably tell her that, yeah, everything that you felt so confused by, so hurt by, so challenged by, um, you're going to channel all of that and make it into like the most loving, supportive, you know, uplifting place that you would have ever wanted at that age. That is amazing. Yeah. And <laughs> I am just, I'm in awe with everything that you've done and it's great. And I, I applaud you for doing that. If you had to tell our listeners one thing that they can do for their health and well-being, just like a takeaway point, doesn't have to be about chronic pain, could be about life, anything in general, what would it be? Yeah. You know, the first thing that comes up for me is like, think about the things that bring you joy. And, and I really mean that because I think when we get sick or when we're in pain, we just feel like we are taken out of the conversation of being allowed to have joy, being allowed to thrive, being allowed these things. And sure, maybe your version of joy or your version of thriving will look different than the person who has no pain or who has is not having to deal with any chronic health issues. But you still get to have joy. And so I think that that is something, that is the activism piece to what we're doing here, right? Like for us to stand up and say, I'm in pain and I still get to try to sing this beautiful song that makes me really happy. And I still get to like paint my nails a pretty color or read this really cool book that I just got from the library that I love. That's like just making my imagination run wild. Like you don't get, you don't, you don't have to be taken out of the conversation of what it means to truly have joy and live life. 
And I think people can see me now and think like, oh, that's really easy for you to say because you're feeling better or whatever. But I realized this when I was bedridden and I was in bed in severe pain for the better part of like six or seven years of my life, my first half of my twenties. And I discovered this then. And I think those are the times when if you can find joy, even the tiniest thread in the most darkest, most painful moments of your life, I think you can really freaking do anything, to be honest with you. So that's what I would leave people with is, you know, where can you find a thread of joy? And let me tell you, it is a moment to moment decision to choose joy. That is the other thing that I want to accompany that, you know, that piece of of advice, I guess I would say. But, you know, people will say, oh, just say this affirmation or do this downward dog or drink this green juice or whatever it is. And you kind of are left like, okay, well, I did the thing and I still have pain or I still feel like not so great or whatever. And I'm just like, yeah, because they forgot to tell you the part that's about the discipline. You have to show up for yourself every day, sometimes a hundred times a day. On my good days, maybe I only have to show up for myself three times, but on my bad days, I have to show up for myself every minute. And I have to keep reminding myself, okay, Nithika, okay, you can do it. Okay. What's going to bring you joy today? Okay, let's go into the community. Let's remind yourself why you're doing this. Let's connect with these people. You know, whatever it is for you, but don't think that I'm saying choose joy and then you're done. It's like, no, choose joy and then choose it again and then choose it again and then choose it again. Those are powerful words. I think that's just such a great way for our listeners to to understand uh, how they can also kind of change the mindset if needed. But that was very powerful. I really appreciate that uh, as a way to end this podcast. Please tell our listeners where they can find you on social media. Sure. Well, you can follow us at Chronicon Official um, on Instagram. And I think we're starting a TikTok too. So I'm sure you can find us on there as well. And then you can find me at Nitika Chopra. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time. I'm so excited to share this information with our listeners. Thank you. Thank you. We would love to hear your thoughts. Visit our Instagram at the female pain docs for more content. Send us an email at the female pain docs at Gmail. If you have any topics in particular, you would like us to discuss. You can also visit our website at www.thefemalepaindocs.com. See you next time.